I'm Nora McInerney, and this is Terrible. Thanks for asking. This episode is coming out right around Memorial Day 2018. I realize you may not listen to it around Memorial Day. You could be listening to it in December or July. There are 11 other months you could be listening to this. That is the magic of podcasts. Part of the magic is that you can listen whenever you'd like. The other part that is magic is that every time you listen to a podcast, you're granted one wish. You're not allowed to wish for more wishes. Everyone knows that. Okay. You made your wish? Everyone? Your wish time is almost up. I need you to focus. Okay. Your podcast wish has been made, and I can move on to what I was saying, which is that we made this episode for Memorial Day, which, even though Memorial Day sometimes just feels like a relaxing three-day weekend, it is a relaxing three-day weekend, originally meant to honor fallen service members in the U.S. military. And I don't like to preach. Yes, I do. Correction. Yeah, I do like to preach. But I don't know. I just, it is a day with a lot of meaning for a lot of people. Not just because you're going to get a great deal on a lawnmower this weekend, which is also true. So have fun. Be safe get a great deal on that lawnmower and also just know that it is a really hard day for a lot of people. And you're going to meet one of those people. Now, one of my favorite things to hear about is a couple's how we met story. Seriously, if we meet, that's what I want to hear. I want to hear about how you met me. (laughs) I want to hear about how you met whoever you're with. So, When Rose and Matthew meet, they are both in the Air Force. Rose is a navigator. So so I fly on a a tiny little airplane and do surveillance, reconnaissance, intelligence kind of stuff. Matthew is a combat controller, so he's somebody who goes into hostile spaces to direct air traffic and call in airstrikes. Matthew was really proud of his work. In Matthew's job, uh, when they make it through their combat controller pipeline, they get a red beret, um, and that's kind of like their symbol. Rose and Matthew met for the first time when they were on base in Florida. Matthew is kind of a funny goofball, but Rose has a boyfriend, and she's not interested in Matthew, even if he's kind of cute in that goofy kind of way. Like, the kind of guy who wears short shorts literally everywhere. And he loved Hawaiian shirts. His, uh, he always had this, like, super luscious hair. It's like this strawberry blonde luscious hair. They kind of kept a little bit shaggy, but just enough that it was still in rags. <laughs> I feel like he always had a smile on his face, too, especially, like, if he was hanging out with his friends. It was a big, goofy smile on his face. And then, you know, a couple beers at him, and he'd kind of become the life of the party. <laughs> Rose does have a boyfriend at the time. But, you know. At the end of the night, he was like, oh, well, you know, can I grab your number? And I was like, uh, I have a boyfriend. He's like, oh, uh, that doesn't mean we can't be friends, Rose. And I was like, oh, fine. Very here. nice deflection, by the way. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, whoa, I yeah. didn't mean it like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, we can yeah. still be friends. Gosh, I'm not being weird. <laughs> so I give him my number, and I'm kind of watching him as he types it in, and he writes Tulip. And I'm like, uh, excuse me, that's not my name. And so he changes it to Rose Tulip. <laughs> like, that was my name in his phone. Like, forever. Matthew and Rose are friends for a few years. 
And they end up on the same deployment eventually in Africa. And we can't tell you where because it's a secret. Every time we do a military story, I ask a question like, oh, so where were you specifically? Like, what was your specific job? Tell me everything you did. And the person I'm interviewing has to, in a nice way, say, are you an idiot? I can't tell you that. So I can't tell you that because they couldn't tell me that. They were doing military stuff in Africa, and that is as specific as I can get. But the important detail is this, that... Matthew and Rose do end up being friends and end up on a deployment together doing friend stuff. So we'd start going on like daily walks and venting about our jobs. <laughs> and then our venting turned into, you know, talking about our families. And I come from a big family and he has, you know, one sister and a little niece. And I had three nephews and a niece. And so we started kind of comparing my nephews to his niece and had like a cute niece nephew off and be like be like oh Mina did this today be like oh yeah well Aiden did this today <laughs> and you know just kind of talking about families and it evolved kind of from like a casual friendship to you know just almost like looking forward to the walks now this is a casual friendship if you think that a casual friendship means the kind of friendship that is heading for a serious romance Matthew and Rose get back from Africa, and they're just together. She's broken up with that other boyfriend, and Matthew is her dude now. The difference between a love story and a military love story is one word that represents a huge scheduling difficulty. Military. Because the military decides where you're going and when. Which means when Matthew and Rose get together, they're signing up for a long-distance romance. But they're also signing up for all those cute parts of any romance, like the little inside jokes. Like this one. Rose sometimes goes by Rose. And she sometimes goes by her full name. A lot of people call me Rosemary. Rose, Rosemary is one of the least insulting things I answer to. <laughs> but that nickname Matthew gave her the first night they met... It sticks. Like, when I was deployed, he put on my care packages, like, Rose Tulip on the address line. Like, even his dad called me Rose Tulip. (laughs) (laughs) Rose Tulip, that goofy little nickname, is just emblematic of Matthew's personality. It was one of his many charms. I mean, he was goofy. Like, he was, I always, like, loved to go out and do stuff, but... He was also, like, one of those people that would do anything for, like, almost anyone. Even, you know, a new friend or an acquaintance. He would almost, like, you know, drop something to to go and help them out. And, like, you know, his team guys or me and, you know, his friends, he would pretty much do anything. He was just super loyal and just an all-around great dude. (laughs) You know the beginning part of a relationship where you just want to spend all your time together and, like, absorb the other person on a cellular level, not in a dirty way, but just you cannot get enough of them? Matthew and Rose don't really get a lot of time in that relationship phase. A typical deployment for Matthew was six months on, six months off. For Rose, it was four months on, four months off. So that meant that their time in the U.S. didn't necessarily overlap. So their soak you up phase was basically whenever they saw each other. 
which, when they first got together, was only a few months. Our time together was just super kind of condensed, and so we had to make pretty much like every minute that we were together, we had to kind of make it count and like spend as much time together as we could while we could. By March 2015, Matthew and Rose had gotten serious. And they were also facing their biggest time apart. They'd have just a month together in the States over the next nine months. They wouldn't have any really extended time together until Christmas. So to get through those nine months, they had a serious relationship milestone to look forward to. They had planned on meeting the parents. The whole family, actually. They made these big plans to go on a road trip First to Kentucky to visit Matthew's family, and then up to Vermont to visit Rose's family. And then they'd ring in the new year in a big old cabin with their friends and family. So that's the big, shiny thing in their future when Matthew begins his deployment in Afghanistan. If you've ever been in a long-distance relationship, you know it can go two ways. It can either completely suck the joy out of your life or infuse every bit of your life with magic. Your phone either feels like a ticking time bomb or a magical portal to a world of sparkly, shiny love. One of my favorite things was he would always text me good morning and he would always text me good night. And that was like just the littlest things, but it just made me feel so special. Whenever I woke up, I had a good morning, beautiful. Um, And then, you know, at night, it would always be a, all right, good night, babe. I hope you sleep well. When we talked or, you know, when he texted me or something like that, it was something like that he wanted to do and that, you know, he got joy out of. I don't know. I just always felt special, like just always felt special with Matthew. Like it felt so easy and comfortable. And I was like, gosh, is this like how it's supposed to be? (laughs) Like, this is what real love feels like. (laughs) Like what you do, your job has like danger and risk. And Mm -hmm. was that something that you two talked about? Yeah, it was. Like we both knew when he deployed, his job was inherently more dangerous than mine. And so we knew that the risk was there. But I guess the way we talked about it was, you know, how if anything would happen, how either of us would feel and our families and and all that kind of stuff. But we never really talked, I guess, about him actually, something actually happening to him. Their relationship exists mainly through text, FaceTime, and care packages. And the time ticks away, bringing them closer to another reunion and that big Christmas road trip. Five months pass. It's August. Matthew is still in Afghanistan, and Rose is back in Florida in her apartment near the base. She'll be heading off on her own deployment soon, but she and Matthew are just four months away from seeing each other again. Um, so I was asleep in my apartment, and it was about 5.30 in the morning, and I remember uh, my phone ringing, and I like, looked at it, and I'm like, who's calling me at 5.30? And I almost ignored it. And then I was like, in my mind, I was like, oh, my squadron's deploying today. Like, what if it's someone that needs, you know, help? So I remember I answered the phone. And I'm like, groggy. I'm like, hello. He goes, Captain Chapman. I was like, ooh, yes. 
<clears throat> yes, I'm very awake. Yeah. I know. And in my mind, I'm like, oh, crap. I hope they don't make me deploy right now. Rose's squadron was packing up to get on what they call the rotators. These are big planes that fly soldiers around the world. And this call is not about her deploying early or helping the squadron board the rotator planes. Instead, it was my commander. And he goes, you know, this is Lieutenant Colonel uh, Jet. He's like, do you still live at your apartment? And I was like, uh, yes. And he goes, all right, uh, there's me and a few men outside your door. We're going to knock. And I was like, oh. And, I, you know, I jump out of bed and throw on some a sweatshirt and sweatpants and run down my hallway just so I hear them knocking. And I'm like, what did I do? Like, what he, did I do? Am I in trouble? I'm like, is he going to, like, escort me to the rotator? Like, what, what is going on right now? Imagine your boss and your boss's boss and your colleagues showing up at your apartment when you're dead asleep. And so I open the door and I see my, like, my commander standing in the middle in his full dress blues. There's a chaplain in his full dress blues. And then there's um, another, another guy that I didn't recognize um, in a red beret. And as soon as I saw the red beret, I was like, crap. I was like, I'm sure he's fine. Like, maybe he's just hurt. I'm sure he's okay. And then um, it was uh, the chief from his squadron. And he's like, uh, Rose? And I was like, yes, that's me. And he's like, I'm, I'm really sorry to tell you this, but Matthew was killed last night. And... Um, I still remember that feeling. I still kind of get it every time I say it. It's like like my heart literally got ripped out of my chest and my stomach just dropped. I think it's the most pain I've ever felt in that moment. And I remember I just broke down and the chief, who's this, you know, big burly looking guy, just swoops in and gives me the biggest bear hug I think I've ever gotten in my life. And just he just kept telling me I'm so sorry and just let me cry. And, yeah, it just, <laughs> um, and he just kind of kept telling me I'm so sorry and just held me until I was kind of like, all right, Rose, like in my, in my head, I'm like, all right, Rose, like pull yourself together. There's, well, I got to figure out, you know, what's going on and what happened and where do I go from here? And um, I guess I have this habit of when something happens, I get into like, I need to do something. Like I, I can't sit still. I need to do something. And so I'm like, all right, you know, plan. I gotta, gotta figure out what, what to do. In the immediate chaos of your life falling apart, there's always this: what you do next. There's always, thank goodness, a to-do list, something to at least keep you momentarily distracted. And the military is so good at having a protocol for everything. And they start telling me, you know, how the next few days are going to go. And they tell me that, you know, Matthew is on his way back and that they're going to do his dignified transfer the next day. And that if I want to be there, then they'll contact his family and see if that's okay. I remember as soon as they said that, it was kind of like a little like twitch in my brain and it was like oh crap like I've I have never met his family <laughs> I was like oh yeah that's gonna happen I guess let's just go back a few seconds 
they're going to do his dignified transfer the next day and that if I want to be there, then they'll contact his family and see if that's okay. Two things are important here. The first is a dignified transfer. That's what happens as soon as possible after a service member dies in the theater of operations, as they call it. Matthew's remains will arrive by plane at Dover Air Force Base in Delaware. His flag-draped coffin will be moved with crisp, precise movements from the plane and transferred to a mortuary vehicle by a carry team of fellow Air Force personnel. These dignified transfers are attended by high-ranking military officials, sometimes by elected officials from the fallen service members' home state, and their family. Parents, siblings, children, husbands, wives. But what about girlfriends? It's not a given that Rose will be there to see Matthew return. Yes, they're in love. Yes, they're serious. But they're not married. Rose is not actually guaranteed a spot at his homecoming. She hasn't even met his parents yet. They were going to in just a few months, but currently she's a stranger to them. And will they want a stranger at their son's dignified transfer? What do you do at this point? Do you call your dead boyfriend's mom, the one you haven't met yet, and... Ask if you can be there to see her son's casket return from Afghanistan? Because Rose does need their permission to attend. But she doesn't have to call his parents. Those guys on the couch are going to ask on her behalf. Now, she just has to wait. We're going to wait, too, because it's time to take a break. Terrible Thanks for Asking has stuff you can buy. You know what I love? Things, stuff, belongings, merchandise, objects, material, possessions, mugs, hats, notebooks, shirts, those are some of the things that you'll find at ttfa.org slash shop. We made a terrible hat that I love so much. A hat that says terrible on it. It's a great hat. Such a conversation starter. I wore it in the airport. I was like, why are all these people looking at me? I was like, I'm wearing a hat that says terrible in bright yellow letters across. <laughs> then a person said to me, you don't look that terrible today. And I said, thank you. And they said, oh, no, the hat. I was like, oh, well, I thought it was just a compliment, but... Uh, you can buy all of this and more. You can buy happiness at ttfa.org slash shop. We're back. Matthew has been killed, and Rose doesn't know whether or not she'll be at his dignified transfer. If you're a civilian like me, your first instinct might be to call your parents or your sister or your best friend and tell them what happened and lose your mind. But Rose can't do that because there's a protocol to the notification process when someone is killed in action. 
until Rose knows that Matthew's parents know that he's dead, she's not to say anything. And she doesn't. She just cries and thinks, cries some more. But even though Rose can't call her mom, it doesn't matter because a lot of moms have a weird Bluetooth-like connection to their children's brains and hearts. I think it was maybe 7 in the morning. So this is a Wednesday, so in the middle of the week. And my mom calls me. I'm like, she never calls me in the morning. I was like, oh, crap. I was like, do I answer it and pretend like everything's okay? Do I answer it and tell her? Do I ignore the phone call? And I was like, I can't ignore the phone call, so I answer it. I'm like, hello. And I was like, hey. Moms always call the best times. Answer your phone the next time your mom calls. She's like, um, I was just thinking about you, and I don't know, I just I just felt like I needed to call you. And I was like, oh, yeah, thanks. She's like, oh, doesn't your squadron deploy today? And I was like, yeah. She's like, are you okay? I was like, no. <laughs> and I was like, so I got to tell you something. I'm only telling you this because you called me, and I feel like it's a sign that I need to tell you. Rose tells her mother that Matthew, the boyfriend she was planning to bring home at Christmas in four months, has been killed in Afghanistan. Um, So he had been killed by a few men wearing Afghan uniforms. So they were either Afghan soldiers or posing as Afghan soldiers, and they had opened fire on Matthew while he was in a vehicle, and that he had also been killed with one other person. Rose knows that as she's telling this news to her mom, Matthew is starting his last journey back to the States. What Rose doesn't know is if she'll be there to see Matthew come back home. I told my mom, and her first response is, I'm going to get on a plane. And I was like, no, don't do that. Because, you know, I'm still kind of waiting for them to contact his family and get the green light so I can buy my tickets. I literally don't know where I'm going to be in the next 48 hours. I was like, don't get on a plane because I might not be here. And she's like, I'm going to call into work, whatever you need. She's like, call me wherever you are and I'm going to be there. Rose hangs up the phone with her mom, enters the fog of grief, and a few hours later, her phone rings. It's Matthew's parents. I had kind of, like, waved on FaceTime, kind of like, you know, when he was home for Christmas and, you know, talked through FaceTime to them, but never, like, you know, a whole conversation. It was kind of just, you know, jokes in the background. So this is, like, your first phone call with his parents? Yeah. And how does that go? Uh, I mean, I was super nervous because in my mind, I'm like, what if they don't let me go? Like, what am I going to do if they don't let me go? I uh, answer the phone and they they have me on speakerphone. Um, They're like, hey, Rose, so, you know, they told us that you would like to go to Matthew's Dignified Transfer Ceremony. I said, yeah, I would would really love to be able to be there. And they said, we would love that, too. (sighs) She can go. She can be there to see Matthew come back home. But she has to get there fast. Rose's friends pack her bag, and two of Matthew's teammates agree to escort her to Delaware. Meeting the parents is always a big deal. It's an important step in a long-term relationship. It has always made me very nervous. I, I don't know. You wonder about what you should say, what you should wear, will they like you, but... 
you usually have your partner there to grease the wheels a little bit. Just ease through those awkward silences. You don't usually meet the parents after your boyfriend dies. They're like, we can either get you a room on the base or you can stay at the Fisher house with us. And I was like, I would really like to stay with you guys at the Fisher house. And they they made sure that they got an extra room for me so that I could stay there with them. The Fisher House Foundation builds homes specifically for families of injured or fallen service members. They're beautiful homes. They're built to ease the burden of travel and lodging expenses for families like Matthews. Rose arrives at Dover Air Force Base and then at the Fisher House around 2 a.m. Chris, one of the guys, had called over to the people who are with Matthew's family, and they're like, yeah, they're staying up. They want to meet Rose. And I was like, oh, gosh. You know, I'm like red-eyed and disheveled, and I don't even think I brushed my hair that day. And Matthew had a, a hat with his, his team logo on it, and so I'm wearing, and had his, his initials on it, so I'm wearing his hat, and um, I probably look like a hot mess. And I'm like, oh, great. This is, you know, this is how I get to meet his family. I don't know how nervous they are, how they feel about me. And so we finally pull up and, you know, we get out and, you know, I hug his mom and I hug his sister and I hug his dad. And we all kind of sit down on the couch and we're looking at each other and his mom looks at me and she goes, so you're uh, Matthew's secret girlfriend and we don't really know much about you. (laughs) It's like, oh gosh, in Matthew's defense, my family would probably say a similar thing. Like, we were just very private. And so then we just kind of started talking. And as soon as I started talking with them, like, all that awkward went away. And it was just, you know, yeah, they're just, I don't know, they're such great people. They're so loving. (laughs) What a relief that they like her. And what a god dang opposite of relief that Matthew isn't here. That meeting the parents goes this well in a situation this bad. They all go to bed and wake up to an offensively beautiful day. We were kind of just sitting out on the back patio. It was a really nice day out. It was sunny. And my phone vibrates and I look and I'm like, I have a voicemail from my mom. I was like, that's weird. Mom at it again. And uh, I listened to it. She's like, so, um... I know you told me not to do anything, but I'm driving, and I'll be there in two hours. Wait, like where? She's like, Dover. How do you feel about this when you get this message? I was like, Mom. I don't even know if this is okay. Yeah, in my mind, I'm like, I literally just met these people. They may just be being nice right now, just letting me be here, and now you're on your way. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm like, now I have to like ask them. And of course, my mom in the in the voicemail is like. She's like, I know you told me not to do this, oh, God. but I'm so annoyed like, for you. She's, <laughs> but she's so sweet though. At the end of the voicemail, she's like, I don't even care if I don't get to see you. She's like, I don't want to intrude. I don't need to see you. I just need to be in the same city as you are right now. Aww. And she's like, I just, she's like, I just need to be close in case you need me. And I was like, Mom, that's so sweet. <laughs> also, don't come here. Like, <laughs> I'm so mad at you. But that's the most mom-lovingly thing in the world, and I can't be mad at you for doing that, but I'm still mad at you. 
Rose doesn't need to be mad because Matthew's parents totally get it. How would her mom not show up? Rose was just anxious because she doesn't want to seem like an interloper. And Matthew's family doesn't treat her like one. They basically treat her as if it's the Meet the Parent weekend they were all planning for. They grill steaks. They treat her like Matthew would want them to. After the steaks are grilled, the Air Force sends a bus for Matthew's family. It's time. What do you wear to see your boyfriend's remains returning from a war you're supposed to deploy to in a few weeks? Do you wear something black? Something mournful? It's kind of like this cute little sundress. Um, And it was white with blue flowers all over it. Just really flowy and cute. Rose had bought the dress for Matthew's return, but not for this kind of return. Because he was about two weeks from coming home from deployment. And I remember just like sitting on my bed in my dress, waiting. The bus comes. Rose gets on with Matthew's family and the family of the other soldier killed that day. He was coming back on the same plane. It's basically the worst party bus of all time. They get there, and they're brought into a room. Part of this whole dignified transfer ceremony, the the initial part of it is you almost have like a receiving line. So you, the whole family lines up, and I, I met a lot of people, and there was a lot of blurred faces and blurred names. Shake someone's hand, I'm sorry for your loss. Oh, are you his wife? I'm like, no, I'm his girlfriend. Shake someone's hand, I'm sorry for your loss. Or you his wife, no, I'm his girlfriend. Shake someone's hand, I'm sorry for your loss. Or you his wife, no, I'm his girlfriend. And say that like over and over again for like an hour. Sometimes too is like a little bit of the demeanor change. Like, oh, oh, okay. Like, mm, thanks. That makes me feel special. <laughs> yeah. Goes from being like, this is like, you know, my favorite person in the entire world like my soulmate, and, but no, I'm just his girlfriend. (laughs) Nobody was trying to minimize Rose and Matthew's relationship, but introducing herself as Rose, the girlfriend, not the wife, is just a reminder of how much potential their relationship had and how unfairly and quickly it was stunted. Eventually, it's time. Matthew's plane has landed. The family heads out to the flight line to meet him. There are chairs, little bottles of water, Kleenex. We're all kind of like trying to brace ourselves for for what's going to happen. And... uh all the important people, they line them up on the side and they bring them out by the airplane. And then there's um, an honor guard that takes the um, the flag draped caskets that are on the plane. They're the only ones on the plane because they're, I think, they're precious cargo, but they treat them like precious cargo. And there's nothing else on the airplane but them. The honor guard goes onto the plane and Matt, they tell us that Matthew is going to be the first one off because they do one at a time so that the family knows which casket is their loved one. 
And so I remember seeing Matthew getting taken off the plane or his flag draped casket. And, uh, and I remember I just lost it. Um, I don't think I've ever cried so hard in my life. I remember I was crying so hard I couldn't breathe. Um, to the point where Matthew's mom was standing next to me. She puts her arm around me. She goes, are you going to be okay? And I said, probably not. <laughs> At that moment, I was like, pull yourself together, Rose. His mom is comforting you. <laughs> um, yeah, it's. I think to this day, it's probably still one of the hardest, hardest things I've had to do. Knowing that Matthew is in there, um, and that was... That was the homecoming that we were going to get, and it wasn't going to be, you know, that running from the rotator to hug you homecoming. I think it was, like, the first moment that it started to feel real to me, I think, that, that this, was, this was my nightmare. <laughs> um, yeah. Matthew is home, or in America, at least. He'll be buried in Arlington National Cemetery in a few weeks, but his family is heading back home to Kentucky in the meantime. Rose's squadron has told her to take as much time as she needs. So she does, and she goes home too. She goes home to Matthew's home with his parents. So I went back to Kentucky, and I spent the weekend with his family and they were really great, especially being around his family and then meeting his friends. And a lot of them over and over told me that they knew how much Matthew cared about me and how much I cared about Matthew and how special we were to each other. And a lot of them too, after meeting me, were like, I can see why Matthew fell for you and, and why Matthew was so special to you and why you were so special to Matthew. And every time something happens or I get that feeling of, well, you were just his girlfriend. I'm like, no, no, I wasn't. I was more than just his girlfriend. And they told me, too, that, you know, I could be a part of their family for as long as I want to be. And I told them they're stuck with me forever, so... (laughs) They are going to be stuck with Rose forever. But not right now, because Rose is still in the military, and she still has work to do. Six weeks after Matthew's death, when Rose has spent time with Matthew's family, when she's gone through counseling, it's time for her to leave and join her squadron in Afghanistan. Now, before you're like, what? No way. That is so unfair. Rose's squadron did give her an out, but she didn't take it. She wanted to go. They were all very surprised. And they were like, are you sure, Rose? And I was like, yeah, I'm sure. And my my deploy commander called. And uh, he's like, I'm just letting you know, you're going to have to walk by a picture of Matthew. They had like a kind of memorial wall in the building that we were in. And they had a picture of Matthew on the wall. And, you know, his was the last face on the wall. And I said, I look at a picture of Matthew every day. I can do it. I want to look at Matthew's face every day when I go to work. That's what I want to do. I was like, that's going to motivate me more. And I've been seeing um, the psychologist attached to his squadron. 
And I remember the last kind of session I had with her and uh, we're seeing, you know, sitting across the couch and she looks at me and she goes, you know, Rose, when I met you six weeks ago, she's like, I thought we'd be sitting across the couch from each other and this would be an entirely different conversation. And she goes, after talking with you for the last six weeks, she's like, I not, not only know that you can go, but I think you need to go. And the fact that she was able to say that to me kind of, I think, really helped convince a lot of other people that I was going to be okay and that this was something I needed to do. Rose doesn't expect it to be easy. She expects it to be difficult. And it is. I remember there was one day, it was right after Veterans Day. I've been, you know, keeping busy. Um, I was doing a master's class at the time, too. So, you know, I was doing homework. And I remember I was sitting watching a YouTube video for my master's class on the computer. I had my headphones in. And for some reason, I just got this like sinking black hole feeling inside me and I was like oh no here it comes no reason at all went to the bathroom and just started bawling pulled myself together I go in and my DO at the time who was in charge of the schedule I was supposed to fly the next morning and I walked in and I like looked at him and I was like hey PJ and he's just like uh oh and I just start bawling and he's like um uh, and like gets up and like shuts the door and like hands me a box of tissues and he's like here sit right here he's like do you need anything do you need anything for me and I was like I don't think I can fly tomorrow and he's like okay I'll take care of it don't worry he's like sit here as long as you want anytime it was like a hard day all I had to do was kind of like turn to one of the guys and they'd be like all right Rose what do you need they're like do you want to go smoke cigars in the smoke pit do you want to go you know go for a run go to the gym do you need to sit and cry do you need me to sit here while you cry I just had that great support network there that even even on the hard days, it would end with, all right, I can get through this. There are a lot of difficult times while she's there, but she gets into a rhythm. Wake up, go check in at work, um, and then if I was flying, kind of get an update on what we were doing for the flight that day, go grab food, brief for the flight, fly, land, work out eat, go to sleep, (laughs) rinse, repeat. Some days are hard, but this deployment is not the hardest thing that Rose has done. Because this deployment ends, then Rose has to do something even harder. She has to get on a plane to come back home from the same place her boyfriend didn't come home from. And I remember thinking that you know I'm going to get off this rotator and there's going to be all of these loved ones and families and wives and girlfriends and but Matthew's not going to be there and it was I mean by far the hardest part of that deployment If you ever watch videos of people coming home from deployment, they just run to their loved ones and they burst into tears. And the entire atmosphere is just pure joy. It's just pure emotion. This was the deployment where Rose would have come home to Matthew 
where they'd have taken that epic road trip, met all the parents, ended it with a big New Year's Eve bash in a cabin in Vermont. Rose never said this. This is pure speculation. I'm just imagining them also getting engaged in this cabin. But that's not what Rose is coming home to. She's not coming back with butterflies in her tummy, but with a pit in her stomach. And I remember just telling myself that all I had to do was get through it. It's just one more day, one more thing, one more minute. I remember I just put my sunglasses on. I'm like, head down. Don't look at anything. Don't look at anyone. You know, someone looks over and they're like, Rose, are you okay? I'm like, nope. Nope, I'm not. It's okay. Don't talk to me. I just need to get through this. We get off the bus and, you know, we have this whole receiving line of people. And they're like, welcome home. Aren't you so happy? And I was like, nope. <laughs> and I'm just, I'm just like, head down. Like, don't make eye contact with anyone. Like, shake their hands. They're like, welcome home. Like, thank you. That's great. I make it through the kind of whole receiving line without crying. And I look up and there's the sea of families and welcome home signs. And, you know, all, all the wives of all my friends and they're all hugging each other. And and I just, I lost it. I start crying and I just have my sunglasses on and I'm like, all right, I'm just going to walk to the back and I'm just going to bawl and, you know, find a place where no one can see me. And, uh, and I walk to the back of the crowd and I look up, and there's my mom and my sister and uh, a few of Matthew's team guys. And they they all came, and they my mom my sister flew in so that I didn't have to be alone when I came home from the, from the rotator. Families can be made in the unlikeliest of ways. Some are blood and some are fire. Some are forged the hard ways in ways you cannot plan for, ways you would never wish for. Matthew and Rose never got to go on that Meet the Parents road trip. But when New Year's came, Rose went to that cabin anyway. And Matthew's sister and her daughter came. And that little girl calls Rose Auntie Rose. And now that little girl has a baby sister who is Rose's goddaughter. Someday, Rose will find love again, and her family will just get bigger. Matthew's family, as she said, is stuck with her. Rose will never have another Matthew. I didn't say this to her face, but I'll say it now. There's no replacing that kind of love. But she can add to it. There will be room in her life and in her heart for someone else someday. Someone who loves and appreciates what she got from her time with Matthew. Someone who understands that he wasn't just her boyfriend and she wasn't just his girlfriend. Someone who understands that she was his rose tulip. And a part of her always will be.
I'm Nora McNerney, and this has been terrible. Thanks for asking. This episode is for Matthew, for all our fallen, including my cousin, Roger McInerney. May you all rest in peace. Hans Buto is our senior producer. Our intern is Muna Sheikhomar. Hannah Mikak-Ross is our project manager. Thank you to Tracy Mumford and Curtis Gilbert for giving this one a listen. And our music, as always, is by Joffrey Wilson of Just Postbellum. We are from American Public Media, APM.